and welcome to Backing Paper for another week, another hot, humid, sweaty week here at Sunny 16 Towers. Uh, and joining me in this lovely, hot, sweaty, boiling Sunny 16 Towers is the wonderful Rachel. Rachel, how are you? That makes it sound like we're both in a sauna or something. <laughs> it feels like, doesn't it? Um, it's been, it's bit has been rather a um, uh, rather warm day up here as well in in Liverpool. I've been out and shoot today as well, so uh, yeah, that was that was nice. I mean, that's a way to bond with your clients at least when you turn up and go, "Good God, I'm sweating all over already," <laughs> um, which is lovely uh, because they get to wear lovely airy dresses and and they got to dress up really nice. I, I was. Um, shooting a baptism today um, so they got to wear lovely kind of like floaty floaty outfits and cool sort of like linen suits and things and and there was me with you know my, my leather harness on which sounds really bad actually I should what? probably Wait, explain you, 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 yeah. you um, with your leather harness on <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, it give, it gives me a chance to wear like three cameras around my person. Uh-huh. So yeah, so you basically it, it's a good way of saving your back. So if anybody, I'm sure loads of photographers who listen to this show will know what I'm talking about. But basically, it means it's distributing the weight of the camera bodies and the lenses and things across your body, as opposed to all hanging like off one shoulder in a in a weighty camera bag. So. Um, because, you know, I found that they're very physical, um, sort of like jobs, um, of course. So uh, I found that it's actually been really useful because it means I can have two cameras, sort of um, one on either side and then an extra one at the front. And then, of course, because it's me, I add another one on top of that as well. But anyway, um, all of that in total does mean that it's still quite warm um, because obviously your layers are quite um, tight to your body. <laughs> you sort mm-hmm. of compacted in. Um, am I digging myself a bigger hole here with describing uh, I this? I mean, I'm just going to hope for your sake that, you know, I know he's back from his holiday now, oh, that Matthew Joseph oh, doesn't listen to this. Even, and, don't, um... don't even, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's been a very long day, like in a lovely way, but my brain's not been working in it very well. Anyway, there we go. It was very nice, though. Um, so, uh, yeah, lovely. We're here, well, backing paper, number We're here, backing paper, yeah. And as we said last week, um, we we're running low on emails. And if there weren't any emails, then probably not much reason to have a show. <laughs> so uh, thanks very much, listeners, and uh, we'll be off. No, just kidding. <laughs> They've stepped up, haven't they? They really oh have stepped God. up Oh, my God. The best <laughs> listeners in the world, as always. We have got a fantastic selection of emails on an incredibly wonderful, diverse range of subjects this evening. So mm-hmm. I think we should just dive into these, Rach, because we have got a veritable okay. smorgasbord of stuff to get through <laughs> here. Yeah, and you need to get back to your pergola, pergolator. My pergola. <laughs> yeah, I've been building a pergola this weekend, guys. It's very exciting. <laughs> uh, the glamorous life. Um, okay, this first email, titled Infrared Photography, is from Ben, who is at Hip Shoot Film, or the Hips Hoot Film, as I'm sure we all know. Uh, ben <laughs> writes be in, Hey, Sunny16 gang. Just wanted to write in and ask about infrared photography. If any of you or anyone out there has had any experience with it. I've been recently working in Belfast and took my trusty Nikon F3 and a heap of film, one of which was a roll of 35mm Rolly infrared, which I've always been intrigued by as the results I've seen when shot with an IR filter look incredible. It's a 400 speed film, but I'd heard it would be best to shot with a 720 nanometer IR filter, which is seemingly almost black to look at. 
My method was as follows. Use an external meter to meter at ISO 12, which is allowing for five stops as the IR filter is so dark. Set the exposure time, seemingly between two to eight seconds on a clear sunny day. Use the waist level viewfinder to compose my shot on the F3 and secure the tripod in position. Reattach the prism and screw on the IR filter. Lock up the mirror on the F3 to cater for any mirror flap. Use the self timer to expose my shot and then develop an HC110 solution B. I reckon about four of my 36 exposures actually exposed. Most shots came out completely black. So I'm unsure as to, by by which means a clear negative. So I'm Mm. unsure as to why it didn't fire properly. I'm quite sure I used the same method each time. Maybe a few didn't lock the mirror up. Am I missing something? Am I using the mirror lockup incorrectly? Are there any secret tips for exposing IR film? Anyway, I thought that'd be an interesting topic to bring up and see if anyone had any tips or tricks to do with infrared photography. Thanks, love you, bye! From Ben. <laughs> thank you very much, Ben. Oh, thank you, Ben. I'm really sorry to hear about that because um, especially after all the effort and work that you've gone to to you know try something new and and give it a go um it's quite it can be a little bit disappointing you know for all as you know graham yourself and and i were very much like ah give it a go and see what happens um yeah four out of 36 does make you go oh what's happened but also it means that something has gone right clearly with four of them and it's just the rest that haven't i unfortunately have not shot infrared i've never had chance to do it um it's it's simply again time um ilfa uh, very kindly michelle sent me some rolls of um sfx uh which i passed on to you yourself as well graham i don't know if you've had chance to shoot any yet of not that or if you haven't no, passed this year i did i did mm. shoot some last year uh, and also had similarly um uh mixed... do you have difficulties oh, as well i the problem i had was that I was using it with a camera that was not suitable for doing the job. I was using it with a camera which I thought was metering through the lens, but which mm-hmm. clearly was not metering through the lens. So I put the um, filter over the lens, and you know, mm. just it, it just and I didn't have an external meter. Uh, so um, and obviously with the I say obviously the Ilford. Um, SFX film is slightly different from the Rolly because the SFX is um, it's got an increased spectrum, but it's not a true IR film. It will give okay. you it'll give you that look, but it's not a true IR film. Um, I think there's a there's a few possibilities. I mean, the first thing that's worth noting is that obviously infrared light can vary throughout the day, and because we can't see it. Um, that could be part of the problem. Um, you might just have been shooting it on a day when, you know, there was an awful lot or no infrared light, which is why you're getting the variable results. Although that said, having uh, such a, a complete change from one thing to the other, that doesn't seem likely. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I don't mm. know. Um, I, and, said, I mean, a Nikon F3 as well. I mean, they're, they're pretty trusty cameras aren't they you know generally the it doesn't feel like it would be that that's necessarily the problem and hmm i don't know yeah i'm sorry i'm, I'm not sure who, who do we know who does a lot of infrared 
Um, well, I know M's done a lot of infrared stuff. Mm. Uh, I know Toby was messing around with it uh, and has certainly shot some of the Roly. And I'm sure there are plenty of other people listening. Um, I would be very interested to hear any feedback on this. Um, because I think there's quite a lot of things that it could be. It could be reciprocity. Um, you know, I wonder if it does mm. have a really sharp drop off on the reciprocity curve. Because if you get into eight seconds, you absolutely are getting into reciprocity failure um, territory. So it could just be that when the exposures are getting too long, the reciprocity failure is pushing out another. So maybe if you're looking at something that's saying, oh, eight seconds, maybe it actually needs to be more like 30 seconds or, you know, a minute. Um, so without knowing the curve of that particular film, but, you know, it could be that as well. Um, obviously, mechanical issues. But I would think you would hear if there was a mechanical thing going on, if the if the mirror wasn't mm. doing what you wanted it to. So, um, but yes, anybody who has particularly experienced working with Roly um, uh, IR film, please get in touch, let us know, and we will come back to this because uh, I am fascinated by the infrared stuff. The main reason I haven't done any is because it is a longer, more thought-out process. It's, it's been clearly detailed here. Mm. Um, yeah. You need the time to set yourself up properly and give yourself the time to get everything set up and going and for long exposures. And So it's not something you can kind of grab and go with very easily. Um, so, um, But yeah would love to hear more on that so if you have shot infrared and have had some success and can give any pointers as to why ben has had problems with this please do get in touch all right rach do you take this next one from ian turpin yeah so ian has written in to say hi folks really enjoying the podcast at the moment i wanted to make the backing paper show a bit longer so that it lasts as long as my daily constitutional (laughs) one hour minimum so here's my contribution Since getting into podcasts and film photography podcasts in particular, I have been exploring the social networks I had previously avoided like the plague, namely Facebook and Instagram. I I know that Instagram is a popular image sharing network, but my impression of it, um, but my impression of it is that it's more about showcasing and less about interaction. Here is my stuff like it. I teach photography, digital sadly, at night school and we have used Flickr for a number of years as a way to allow students to not only showcase their work but discuss images and get feedback where requested. Help and encouragement. Flickr seems a much better platform for interaction and discussion. However, it has suffered with lack of care, smug mug don't seem to be interested in doing anything other than breaking it and the popularity and monetization opportunity in Instagram, which is sad in my opinion. Do you have opinions on Flickr versus Instagram? I see that there's a Sunny 16 podcast group, but it seems a bit untended? <laughs> Question mark. Um, I find Flickr better for browsing because I can find specific things in groups which then can lead me off down interesting rabbit holes. With Instagram, I find I need to know what I'm looking for, hashtags, um, because if I don't, I get served up a load of crap from what Instagram thinks I'd be interested in. Also, I prefer the desktop experience because I'm a dinosaur. I also <laughs> oh my find goodness. Flickr... <laughs> I also find Flickr more about photography and less about popularity, likes and monetization. It would have been great to see the results of the Cheap Shots Challenge and all the assignments on here. Anyway, hope you all have a great summer. And by the way, Rachel, I got my 209 Women book yesterday. It's fab. I opened it from Ian Turpin, who is... Um, I'm assuming this is his Instagram handle Mm -hmm. after after all this at Ian I-A-N underscore C-T-E-E or Mm -hmm. is on Flickr.com forward slash photos forward slash Harlequin 
565. So you can find him on Instagram or on Flickr. So in terms of Flickr and his point about the Sunny 16 Flickr page, obviously that isn't something I I personally have ever been involved in. I've actually never really used Flickr. I think I set up an account once and I've just never used it. Um, I tended, I've used either my website um, for showcasing my work and obviously for gallery and what have you. Um, or I've had external links which take you from um, my social media to um, like pixie set galleries or what have you. That And that's how I've tended to work it uh, rather than using Flickr. But I know that there was originally a Sunny 16 Flickr account and I know that that was populated by yourself, Graham, and by Aid. Um, and also I know that we don't have the challenges uh the images from the challenges on there because we tend to put those obviously on the website um so that means that you're able to go onto specifically onto the sunny16podcast.com um website and see see the images there but yeah as far as i know am i correct in saying that they're not on Flickr, are they yeah no you're absolutely right in everything you said rach um i, I i've when i first got into photography properly i created a Flickr account and actually i used Flickr for a long time i was quite late coming to Instagram and I, and I agree with everything that Ian says um, Flickr has an awful lot going for it the problem for us at Sunny16 with the Flickr group is it's just time um, as is the problem mm. with everything we do uh, so I, I will put this out there if there is somebody listening um, who would like to take on <laughs> um, overseeing the Sunny16 podcast uh, group um, and kind of kicking that into shape because we do have quite a few people involved with it. But um, mm. I, I'm terrible with all social media, full stop. Um, I didn't whether... mean just yep, as in you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously, obviously myself. Um, it, it, oh gosh, yeah. I mean, where does it? Where does the time go, Graham? Mm. Where does it go? It's just. It seems crazy, and and almost like the more you distill that, the more you distill down that the the, you know. Your time doesn't go as far, does it? So it's just trying to kind of like cover cover those bases, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of Instagram, you you do share more work on Instagram now, I think. Yeah, um, I, tr I try to when really I remember good. to. I mean, for me, the the sort of the um, the pathway is that I will share my stuff to Smug Mug first. So I, I have a Smug Mug oh. account. Um, okay. So I'll throw my stuff up on there, which kind of, nobody's going to Smug Mug to look at my stuff, but it's just a handy holding pen that I can then pull stuff off my phone onto my phone and then share it to Instagram if that's what mm. I'm going to do. Um, and I use, actually, this is a, I'm going to give this a shout out. There's a great app which was recommended to me by somebody on, on Instagram uh, for putting borders, or not borders, but for making um, portrait pictures into square because anybody who uses Instagram will know if you put a tall portrait on there it'll crop it and there's nothing you can do um, so there's mm. a great app which is definitely on Android I don't know about um, iTunes or Apple whatever um, but it's called Frameable and it's really good and it's a really lightweight straightforward streamlined app it, it's a doddle you can just set it as a preset so I just put my thing in put, puts it into a square um, format and then it goes up and it's wonderful huh. um i i must try that because yeah i've uh, yeah sometimes that's a, such a pain in the bum <laughs> yeah like, it seems to be a little hit and miss i find um like sometimes my 35 mil stuff will will display um at 35 mil ratio and mm. then other times it's like nope 
So I don't know why. Uh, who knows? Uh, yeah. I'm on Android as well. So maybe it's to do with the particular phone I've got or something. But uh, I will definitely check that out. So um, I really love Instagram. I do, I do find it um, so much easier than Facebook. In terms of engagement, um, I, I, my, my business Facebook page I find so difficult like it it's always whenever i post it from that i maybe get seen by it's like i maybe get one like or zero likes or yeah. or no nobody seems to even see it you know it's it's again it's not about necessarily the likes i'm more talking about like interaction with that and whether anybody's actually seen it and it never seems to be that anybody's seen it um so yeah trying to kind of like keep up with how they change the algorithms and how much they basically just want you your money um on facebook to you know get you to boost posts and all that kind of stuff um i find it quite tough um instagram i really like because i find that it's people tend to update their work on instagram more often than they would necessarily on their website um so rather than um kind of like going and and sort of like seeing what is recommended i tend to find particular people whose work i admire and like then find their Instagram handle and simply follow them. And then once I've seen who um, who else follows them or who they follow, you tend to find like similar threads running through. So I'm like, oh, this person also seems like it work that I would be interested in in sort of like following and kind of go from there a bit more organically rather than just going by their discoverer kind of like ideas or whatever. Uh, because yes, uh, Ian, uh, sometimes it just chucks up a load of stuff and you're thinking, where the heck did that come from? Why do they think I want to see this? Nope. Um, so yeah, so I tend to do it much more based around like actual um, people's work, you know, especially from, you know, listeners who obviously I I then hear hear about what they're doing and think, oh, I'll follow, follow them because that sounds awesome. Um, and then, you know, it sort of snowballs from there, really. Yeah. I think it's horses for courses. I mean, I think yeah. if, if somebody said to me, okay, you've got an hour to just look up pictures on one of these two platforms, mm-hmm. I probably would be more inclined to go with Flickr. Um, mm. I think that, the, the, especially on the computer, I mean, I'm not a yeah, dinosaur. I have like long arms and everything, and I can reach the mouse and click and everything. <laughs> um, but still, uh, I think Flickr shows stuff off better. And I do think that there's certainly... Um, the way that it manages the pictures, I do think it... it, it it is better if you're going on that kind of um, mm. jaunt, uh, but you yes, need you, you need to have the time. And, and like I said, I used mm. to use Flickr a lot. I used to have time to engage with it, time to share my pictures on there, and look at other people's and comment. And I just don't have time really at the moment for any of it. Um, I hope Smug Mug do get something sorted out with what's going on with Flickr uh, because mm-hmm. I think the, the groups in particular are an incredibly valuable part of what Flickr was. The number of times where I have been trying to find out information and I've ended up in some random group on Flickr, you know, a Google search has led me there and found out all sorts of information. It's incredibly useful. Um, so um, I, I hope we can get back to that point. And as mm-hmm. I said before, if there's somebody listening who listens to the podcast and who also is a keen fan and user of Flickr and who has the time to put in to helping us out with that that would be fantastic we'd Mm, love mm. to do more of that so that would be great 
Absolutely. Oh, and I'm really pleased to hear about your 209 women book. That's awesome. I, mine is um, still sitting in its cellophane because oh, I good. still haven't decided whether I'm going to wrap it or not. Probably Just will wrap it for my birthday. Don't be um, insane. What? I'm not insane. Not it insane. is insane. Just open your goddamn yeah, present now. But I like getting presents and I won't have anything to open. Tell way. Adam that that's not good enough. <laughs> Anyway, so it's sitting over there looking at me and I'm very excited. And I'm really pleased to hear you, you've enjoyed yours, Ian. That's great. Okay, moving on. Um, moving on. We okay. have next one from Nigel Cliff. Yep, uh, Nigel writes, we've got kind of two for here from Nigel, so we'll sort of take one after the other. Um, the first one, regarding new 35mm SLRs. Uh, in backing paper 35, you talked about someone making a new 35mm camera. But obviously, as you alluded, the cost of bringing such a thing to market and such a camera could not... Uh, so, well, I got confused. To bring such a thing to market could not be cheap. Isn't a better plan to get cameras, especially manual ones, CLA'd to a high standard um, that would give them many further years of life at a much lower cost? Uh, did I not hear of a firm, possibly in Sweden, already doing something like this? Uh, okay, well, let's address this first part. So, <laughs> well, I was just, sorry, I was just thinking, don't don't start talking about countries because you know it's Graham and myself, and <laughs> we yeah. just don't know where <laughs> begins with S, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so I think it's camera rescue, isn't it? Um, you over yes. at camera rescue, yeah. Um, so, and, and to be honest, this is one of those moments where you think, God, now there is somebody who we absolutely should have spoken to probably years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. So we really need to address that. But yeah, I think that's exactly what he is doing. He is tracking down as many as he can and repairing them and getting them back into um, back into circulation. Um, yeah. I think it's a two a two prong thing, isn't it, Rach? I think we need both things. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, taking care of the cameras that we've got is very important because there is a huge number of them mm -hmm. um, and it's going to take an awfully long time for anybody to make anything like that amount if they start making new ones or to, to the quality. Mm -hmm. But that said, we do have other problems in the term in the sense that there are not that many people out there to do the repair work and to do the to care do the work. And yeah, and, and also, you know, in terms of, spare parts and things like that you know if, yes if you have a camera that's been newly built newly manufactured um and has the full kind of production cycle part of it it means that there's more potential to you know rather than having to try wait or, or to you know until another model exactly the same comes past your door on its way to the scrap heap and you can take some parts from that you know like the likelihood of being able to do that is is much slimmer isn't it um so uh yeah if if there's something that has the full kind of um yeah production kind of um on onward care whatever you would call it yeah. i don't know how what you call it um but that part of it would be i think really valuable um as well so you're right a two-pronged approach is is what we want obviously we want to be looking after the cameras that we already have and as many to, as much as we can getting them CLA'd but as you say the difficulties of trying to find enough people to do that to the right kind of standard um is one problem um but yes absolutely we can we should do both and uh yeah just uh I think it's it's again it's still about you know supply and demand isn't it and and if we keep on mentioning that there is definitely demand for that at some point I'm sure something is going to come to 
going to come to market. It's just when, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And to what quality and all of these other things, all the other challenges that, you know, um, are ongoing with manufacture of something like that. Yeah, just want to very quickly because we've been tossing around the term um, CLA, and it, this was a subject of a, a conversation I had with um, Simon Forster and a couple of others uh, this week. Um, CLA, for anybody who doesn't know, it means cleaned, lubed, and adjusted. And I think um, it, it's a term that I got introduced to. I think we're all kind of introduced to as just part of the oh, this is film photography, CLA is just you know a thing that comes up. Um, and I get the like TLC, TLC exactly. And I've always thought of it very much as a um, a service you mm-hmm. get okay my camera just I send it off for a service because it needs to be maintained um, and Simon was saying well I've I've never sent in a camera and asked for it to be CLA'd you know he's, when he's had work done he's already always said I have this specific thing that needs sorting out it's got a slow shutter speed uh, um, it's dragging slightly um, it's not winding on whatever it may be a more specific thing um, and, I, and you know uh, I would be very interested to hear what people's uh, personal experiences with CLAs are. Is it too broad a term to be useful? Um, it, it feels like something that was perhaps more important when film was the working tool and uh, professional shooters were sending their cameras in as a matter of course, you know, once a year or once every so many shots to get them checked over, tested and cleaned, lubed and adjusted. Um, but, I you know, sort of think of it as like a camera spa. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely it's like it needs to go and have a little bit of rest and relaxation a bit of r and r a bit of tlc <laughs> all yeah. of these um what's the word acronyms no is that right no but never mind it's close to because okay. the thing is as you were just saying rach we know that as well as um there just not being any new cameras but parts are a problem so it makes more mm-hmm. sense to take care of the camera so things don't break rather than wait for a thing to break or wear out and then have problems getting hold of a part. So if you've got a camera you particularly love, you know, maybe get it serviced even if it isn't broken. Maybe that's the thing. I, I've certainly thought about this with things like my OM-1. I'm like, it's working fine. I'm perfectly happy with it. I might get it serviced though, so it continues to work fine far, far into the future. Mm. Anyway, Nigel yeah. continues with a follow-up email because we asked oh. for what I'm doing on my holiday email. So he got back to us with a what I'm doing on my holiday email. Because uh, as he says, he couldn't bear the thought of us having <laughs> no emails to read out on backing paper. My little sonnies. Aww. Uh, so he's off to North Wales on Saturday. Uh, oh. Yeah. That'll be yesterday. That'll be yesterday, yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, to accompany his digital camera and his classic lenses, because got to keep them happy, will be a, sh- <laughs> a Shinon CE4S containing a roll of street candy, uh, an Olympus OM2 that some bloke from Stoke once filmed testing. I'm, <laughs> I'm his testing bitch. Uh, I'm taking the chances, not a duffer, and going to run my first roll of new ectochrome through it. Finally, in case I need to travel light any day, a Yoshika Minitech, a much underrated compact. Uh, keep up the good work and that's all from Nigel thank you very much Nigel um, well, I hope you've had a lovely weekend up in North Wales my old stomping ground absolutely just over the way and uh, if it's anything like here it'll have been lovely and warm and sunny so uh, that's grand yeah um, thank you very much for, for writing in to make sure that we, we weren't all lonesome yes very much appreciated yeah I, I want to try to roll that street candy um, one because I just love the packaging that it's in and yes, two I'm just really interested because it's um that's a black and white film and it's um surveillance film from 80 for the cameras above atm machines uh that's where that's come from 
ATMs, um, is it really? I yeah, didn't ATM know surveillance machine. I, I love the weird, random places this stuff comes from. Yeah. Um, but I've, you know, I've seen a few pictures from it, and it looks nice. You know, it's it's just a bit of fun, isn't it? Um, and I'm not familiar with the Minitech, but Yashika made no, a lot of good, um, a lot of good point and shoots. So. Uh, I hope those cameras all behave themselves for you um, in your role as testing bitch. That's uh, <laughs> very good to hear. Okay, do you want to take yeah. this next one, Rach, from Aaron Alfano? Yes, so um, Aaron has written in with the subject heading uh, Cheap Shots, Non-Challenge Pictures, uh, I believe. That's correct. That's the one mm-hmm. that's assigned to this email, isn't it? Excellent. Okay, it says, Hello, Sunbeams. Hope you're all doing well. I'm enjoying the podcast as always and thought I would write in as the mailbag on the most recent backing paper episode seemed a little thin and I didn't want you to feel unloved. Thank you so much, Aaron. Um, I'm enjoying your new assignment based approach, but I am a bit disappointed that the Cheap Shots Challenge is on hiatus for the time being. I missed the last challenge, but thought I would share some photos I've taken with my Cheap Shots Challenge cameras. The colour photo is from a, a Canon AF8 that I bought last year for $5, intended to use to be used for the CSC. I had previously only used this camera with a very expired roll of film that was in the camera when I bought it. Not having any other compact cameras, film or otherwise, I decided to take this camera with me on a family trip to the Kennedy Space Centre. I used a fresh roll of Fuji C200 and was very pleased with how my photos turned out. The beautiful little girl in the photo is my daughter. She has taken an interest in photography and has decided that the Canon is now hers. <laughs> That's awesome. This definitely sounds uh, like the sort of thing that happens. Um, I'm very pleased to hear that. Uh, it says, thank you for indirectly helping me to introduce her to film photography. I have been on the lookout for a manual focus SLR at a CSE eligible price for some time and recently found a very nice Pentax Spotmatic with a lovely 50mm 1.4 lens super Tacoma lands um, at a nearby camera store which I purchased for the princely sum of $20 that's amazing right that's a very good deal very good Um, I am sending two photos from my test roll of Tri-X although the meter in my camera is not working I am very impressed with the handling of this of this camera and especially the lens which I think will give my Nichols a run for the money in image quality I would never have bought this camera, but for the possibility of using it for the Cheap Shots Challenge. So thank you for that as well. Keep up the great work on the podcast. Best from Aaron Alfano. Thank you so much, Aaron. That's awesome. And I mean, what a bargain. And I'm so pleased to hear that you now have extra cameras for when we do come back to the Cheap Shots Challenge. Um, Have you seen the photos? Did he attach them? I have. If you actually look in the show notes picture, I've stuck them in there. I've just put them in there now. Um, Okay. Yeah, they're lovely, really lovely pictures. Um, I, I, I love a nice family picture. And I, there's a really lovely picture of mother and daughter together and a great panning shot of his daughter on the scooter. I'm always a big fan of a panning shot. Uh, and just uh, somebody else, as I did, obviously, last week on Sunday 16 uh, at NASA. Um, uh, great picture of NASA there. Um, with his daughter in front oh. of the, the sign there. So that's very adorable. Um great. Great find with that. I mean, the Spotmatic, I don't own a Spotmatic. It's a camera I've always kind of wanted, but also equally don't need. Um, but I do own the um, 1.4 Super Takamar, and that's a cracking lens. It really is. It's so nice and contrasty. Um, 
and uh, it's great for color film. Um, it's great for black and white. It's really lovely, uh, really lovely lens that one. So I think you'll have a lot of fun with that. Mm. Um, uh, it is one of those ones where you do have to be uh, vaguely mindful of the fact that it's a bit nuclear. But apart from that, it's all good. <laughs> oh my gosh! It's all well, good. Well, you were at the Kennedy Space Center and. <laughs> Uh, yeah, with NASA and things around you, so probably quite a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As it is, I know. But this thing that 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 lovely yellowing that gives it all on the front, that gives it that lovely contrast and look. Um, you know, it's just like I said, a little bit irradiated, but that's fine. Just don't keep it in your trouser pocket unless you know one daughter is all that you wanted. Um, okay, the next one is from Joseph Baker, uh, dearest sunbeams. I felt I felt I felt bad for you having to do such a short show last time, so thought I would let you know about my latest exhibition, which I will be installing this weekend. Ooh! After That's John's a round of applause. Sorry. Thank you. It was a very little <laughs> round of applause, but um, thank you anyway. You can, well, applaud afterwards. You might not like what he's okay. talking about first. I suppose. After John's sewn is a mixed media installation in a phone box. Fair installation. Enough. Uh, yep, installation. That's what cause when it's a small installation means big. Installation means small, and it's in the phone box. Hence, installation. Um, I have used acrylic paint to monoprint color onto black and white photographic prints. This sounds absolutely intriguing. The photographs were made using Kodak's Triex in a Rolly 35TE camera on a visit to St Pancras Old Churchyard, London, in October 2018. Uh, the phone box can be found in Prick Willow, near Ely in Cambridgeshire. Are you Sorry. all right, Graham? Yeah, I'm fine. Sorry, just made Good. me laugh. Um, uh, there's a link here, which I, I may remember to put in the show notes, but don't hold your breath to a Google map. Um, I will, actually, no, I will make sure. I will make sure that the link is in the show notes. Joseph, well, Joseph, he's, he's got this amazing exhibition happening. Look, it's a phone box. Installation, you know. Yeah, you'll find his installation uh, in a phone box in Prickwillow near Ely in Cambridgeshire. The exhibition runs until the end of August, should anyone find themselves in this neck of the woods. Also, it has been a real treat to hear from Eric again. I mm. always enjoy hearing his audio diaries, and his latest zine is a thing of mm. great beauty. Two things, in fact. <laughs> All the best, Joe Baker, who is at Evil Chutney. Um, thank you very much, Joe. Ah, oh, absolutely. And um, obviously, congrats on the previous um, win and what have you as well. And um, Joe, um, uh, Joe, also, I think on a previous round. He sent in, if I'm remembering correctly, um, an image which had a very pop art feel to yes. it. Do you yeah. remember? And I'm wondering whether it's a similar process he used with that because I don't actually know how he created that pop art feel and whether it was acrylic paint on um, black and white photographic print because it was definitely the photographic print, but it had been doctored in some way. So I'm wondering whether it's it's that sort of process and he's done that, he's done this again but with other images and created it in a phone box. That'd be very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Based on based on that work, uh, Joseph, then absolutely would highly recommend everybody who's around that area to go and see it. It'd be grand. Um, and uh, yeah, take some take some shots of it on your phones and post them to Instagram or Flickr, of course, in um, uh, so we can see it. That'd be that'd be great. Yeah. Sounds very cool. Um, unfortunately, we haven't had any more audio diaries from Eric. I did hear briefly from Eric last week. Um, okay, I think he's had a bit of a, uh, an up and down trip this time. So um, hopefully we'll hear mm. from him once he's back. But, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think things have all gone 
quite uh, the way he would want them to. Um, I'm not quite no. sure why, but uh, hopefully... We we'll, don't know why exactly. But he's definitely still alive and fine and well and um, on his way home, if not home by this point. So I hope he's doing better. Uh, we are all yeah. thinking of you, Eric, and I hope your trip has picked up. Uh, and also, his zine is a thing of great beauty. So as listeners on that show will know, I bought my copy of the zine whilst I was chatting to Eric. And it's lovely... <laughs> two really nice it's because it's two parts in they're both lovely and you get some awesome gumph with it including a sticker with juniper on it how can how can there be any copies available that's the thing that baffles me (laughs) okay Ah. do you want to take this next one rach from david romanis okay um so david romanis pronounce armanis second syllable emphasis there we go if you're wondering although we say it three different ways within my own family oh well that's (laughs) that's helpful actually makes this feel much better <laughs> yeah one of the ways bizarrely is jones which is really weird <laughs> um, my question um i'm a new listener and love the show thanks for such an enjoyable podcast i listen to very few because most are dull in capital letters did you write this graham no i didn't and also okay. strongly disagree all podcasts are brilliant <laughs> <laughs> so please keep up the good work i've been shooting film for about 20 years I also shoot with a Canon 5D Mark III, but I've recently fallen back in love with my film camera arsenal. Yay for that. That's my extra round of applause because I got cut short last time. <laughs> um, my most recent foray has been into the world of bulk 35mm film. I'm not sure it's cheaper, but I don't care. <laughs> I've given it a go anyway, mainly because I was fascinated by the idea of super slow ISO film and bought myself a roll of ISO 1.6. Hang on. Did I read that right? Yeah. Uh-huh. 1.6 super slow Kodak film. God, he does sound like you, Graham, doesn't he? <laughs> um, these random like rolls of film. Um, I'm now making my way through about 20 rolls of it. More fool me. If you want to roll, chuck, chuck me an address and I'll stick a canister. You definitely wrote this. You definitely wrote this, Graham. Um, I've, got, I've got a bulk roll of something which I now mm-hmm. realise is nothing but a complete burden to me. Please help. Yeah. Yes, you know what? Exactly. I think I think David and I are definitely brothers from another mother. Um, so David, in air quotes, um, says, if you want to roll, chuck me an address and I'll stick a canister in the post for you. That's very sweet, David. The question relates to um, flash and low ISOs. I understand the relationship between shutter speed, aperture and ISO very well. In ambient light, it's not a problem. I have two of my SLRs, Canon 1V and Pentax uh, MZ50, my first camera. Set to ISO 6, the lowest they will go. And I've set the cameras to overexpose by two stops to get the uh, silly low ISO. In daylight, they'll expose fine for me, despite the MZ50 not having a bulb setting. So I need enough light for 30 second exposures at the very least. But if I want to introduce a pumper flash without having a light meter to hand all the time, what's the cheat for using a flash with such a ridiculously low ISO? Usually on my DSLR. I'd set the camera manually at about a 60th of a second or so at f8, have a quick look at screen and move the settings a stop or two either way to give me more background or less foreground light. However, with real photography, there isn't a quick way of telling what the outcome will be, part of the beauty of film photography. Any hints or tips? Sorry for the long question. I hope you were listening to that, Graham, because I was I was simply trying to read the email through, so I wasn't actually thinking about how to answer i'm sorry no no well, that's a, well let's let's, let's, re, let's recap what the question is so basically the question is sorry. he's using film with an iso of 1.6 oh, 
uh, which I mean, I, you'll have to do the quick math on how many stops that is down from ISO 100. No idea. It's it's quite a few stops down from ISO 100. It's a few. We we could figure <laughs> out, but you know, um, uh, and he wants to be able to use it with flash because obviously ISO one six means that you're getting very long shutter speeds. Yeah. Um, so he's used to using it with a uh, DSLR, you know, putting about one sixtieth of a second at f eight, um, mm-hmm. and having a look at the screen, seeing how it's going now. Oh, it's a shame Aid's not here because we know that Aid yeah. loves talking about flash. So my understanding, and you're going to have to help me with this, Rach, is the first thing is that the shutter speed mm-hmm. is controlling the um, ambient light. Ambient light, it? yeah. Okay, yeah. so um, that's that. And the aperture is controlling the how much light's getting from the flash. That's right. Now with uh, ISO 1.6, um, I suppose my question is... <laughs> Do you have a powerful enough flash? Because there's only so wide you can you can op- have the shutter speed open mm. for as long as you want. As you mm-hmm. said, you can have it up for thirty of a second, but the aperture can only go so wide. Um, so it's whether even at the widest aperture you're going to get what you need from the flash, unless you can really jack that flash up pretty powerfully. Um, I would imagine that that is likely to be the problem. Um, or add extra flash flashes. Yeah, or add more flashes, actually add more light. The great yeah. news is the kind of the solution is in the problem because the problem is you've got yourself a metric ton of this bulk-loaded film, but mm-hmm. the great thing is you've got a metric ton of this, so roll yourself just some real short rolls because it doesn't need to be 36 or 24 exposures. Yeah, like roll 5, yourself... 10 or something, you know, frames you could even, couldn't you? You could be like, yeah. right, try that one in this camera, try this one in this camera. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're working on the assumption that you're developing this stuff at home because otherwise that's not practical. Mm. But if you've gone down the rabbit hole deep enough to buy a bulk roll of <laughs> 1.6 ISO film, um, I'm going to assume that you're de- developing at home. And so just do some test shots, find out what works, um, because... There may well be people out there who've had a go at this because there's there's always people out there who've tried everything, but probably not a ton of people. Probably not a mm. lot of people are thinking, you know, ISO one six. Because I mean, ISO one six, we're talking about film speeds that's slower than paper at this point. Oh yeah, I, I um, think Ilford like Multicrase. I mean, there was discussion about this because I I've always rated that as ISO six, um, but I think it's between three and six. And Ilford yes. did did say they'd come, they'd gone back to their technical team and, and checked and what have you. So yeah, so that's slow slower than paper, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And and with paper, um, you know, you, you need to give it a fairly good oomph with that. So um, so the best thing is. Do tests on it. Mm. Uh, we could, I mean, you've got you could always check with Simon Riddell and, and David and what have you because they, I mean, they they've shot in pitch black in tanks, <laughs> you know, and and added lots of different lots of flash and things to be able to illuminate that kind of image. So I know it's not we're not talking about ISO necessarily, but maybe that's mm. also something to to investigate how to create images when there's no light. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, yeah. That's part of the thing. Yeah. Part of the issue, I mean, yeah, that's the I mean, the, the bottom line is it, it's with the ISO being so slow, it's that paper's ability to grab hold and you know, grab enough light to make the change. Mm. Um, and so I think really testing it is going to be the only way of having any sure and sure, certain way of getting results. I don't think there's anybody out there who, I mean, I might be wrong. Somebody might go, oh, no, if you do this, this will definitely work. But with um, ISO 1.6, um, I think 
if you want to be able to get into a good workflow, you're going to actually need to do some research. But this will be wonderful. I think, you know, get back to us yeah. with what your research finds Absolutely. and share some results. And we will share that with the listeners because I know that there are other people listening there who have got roles of super slow ISO film because there are more of them floating around now than <laughs> was ever widely available before. You know, the mm. FPP have got quite a good range of slow films, although 1.6 really is getting down there quite low even for, by their standards. But I know they've got a load of ISO 6 stuff and ISO 12. So, um, so as we said... Kodak, you know, as well. You could ask them. They made it. They made the film. Maybe you could... They you know. did. They definitely never made it with the intention of somebody using it to take portraits, <laughs> pictures with flash. So it was never <laughs> made for that. And, you know, this is definitely a copy film. So, yeah. um, so try it out. You know, let us know. And I'm sure if you do some research, I'm sure like M over it. Most would be very mm -hmm. interested to see how you get on with it definitely. as well. Um, yeah. So yes, please do test out. Um, and let us know how you get on with that. And, and obviously, if anybody here is listening going, oh, you idiots, this is what you do, <laughs> write in and let us know and we will pass this information on to David. Um, but That's a weekly occurrence for us, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We're getting some really good questions that we are failing to answer in any specific way at all, but that's all right. That's why we have a talented listener base. Oh, yeah, exactly. We're, we're simply the, you know... A conduit. The, the space. A conduit, thank you. That was the word I was looking for. Appreciate it. Lovely stuff. Okay, well, this next one, we'll definitely be able to answer this one, Rach, because this is about cyanotypes, and we have the acknowledged expert who hates me saying that. Um, yes, we have really Rachel. Anyway. I um, haven't read it yet either, so okay, please well, don't ask me. All right. Okay, well, this is uh, from our good friend, Ronnie Brandon. Who oh, hi, Ronnie. Hi, Ronnie. Yes. Hi, Graham, Rachel, and Aid. Uh, well, not Aid, obviously. Uh, it's been a while since I wrote, you know, life. It's relentless. So in an attempt to hold on to what remains of my sanity, I've been trying to carve out some time for my photography. I've even joined a community darkroom, which is Yay. just wonderful. Yay! I'm hiding in the dark in the summer. That shows you where I'm at. Anyway, my reason for writing in. When I have ventured out into the sunshine, it's been to experiment with cyanotypes. I've done a few cyanotype contact prints using 6x6 negatives and have loved the results, but of course they're pretty small. Not too bad if you have a strip of negs with nice consecutive prints and you can do diptychs or triptychs, but I wanted to have a go at making larger prints using digital negatives. Hmm, it just doesn't work. So I figured I'd reach out to the community, community's dearest sunbeams for help and advice. As we all know, Rachel is the world's preeminent expert <laughs> <Okay>. on cyanotypes. <laughs> yes. The digital negatives I prepared are from scans I made from 35mm black and white. I've adjusted contrast etc in Photoshop to get a pleasing image and then inverted and flipped the image to give a negative which my local copy shop then printed onto clear A4 sized acetate. Now I've experimented with times ranging from a few minutes upwards, the last attempt being some 7 hours in full July sunshine and I have zero results to show for it. Mm. Literally only the faintest image is registering on the paper, which washes off as soon as it hits water. Any ideas? I thought maybe I hadn't applied enough solution to the paper or that my negatives aren't dense enough. Perhaps I need to really ramp up the contrast or choose images of high contrast to start with. As I say, I'm familiar with the basic process and I can get results with film negatives, flowers, etc. So I know that the solution, which I bought as a pre-mixed liquid, is working fine. Any advice, gratefully received. As ever, good light, 
from Ronnie. Okay, Rach. Okay. This is your this is your bag, baby. Any thoughts? Yeah. Um I mean first like listen and read through that email. It does sound like you're doing everything right. I it makes no sense that you're not getting any images. My my thought is maybe it, when you say I've experimented with times ranging from a few minutes upwards and then seven hours, it might be that actually your sweet spot's in the middle of that, um, those two extremes. Um, now, I, I don't know whether that means that you have tested it all, all sorts of stages between a few minutes and several hours, um, because what might have happened is that um, a few minutes is not going to be, I would imagine, um, from when I've done this, it's not going to be long enough for a digital negative uh, in order to give you all the tones and and, and what have you. Um, to create a photogram, simply an object on top of cyanotype, uh, in bright direct sunshine, five, ten minutes, no problem, you know. Um, if it's a cloudy day, 45 minutes to an hour, perhaps, and that will give you an outline. Um Photograms are kind of like nice and simple and quick. With a digital negative, you're you're looking at a much longer, um, usually I found a lo- much longer um, time span. But then, if you've jumped from a few minutes to seven hours in July, like full direct sunshine, then it will have just taken gone straight through all of those tones. It will it will have gone past the point of no return. If you see what I mean? Well, the um, thing is, Ray, he's saying like that, he's saying that yeah. even after that, he's only getting faint image being registered on the paper. Yeah, when when I've um, done done some with digital negatives and left them for too long, then I've been left with very little or nothing as well. I yeah, but that. I mean, am but, I am I misunderstanding what he's saying? No, no, but I think he's not saying he's got very little in the way of detail. I think he's getting very little. Um, like he's just ending up from what it sounds like with kind of nothing there. It's all washing away. Mm. So he's ending up with that. Could it be right, Rach? Could it be that the acetate that the printer was using is UV resistant? Is that a thing? Could mm. it be something that's been designed to not be knackered know. by UV? May maybe. Do you know? I hadn't even thought about that because I yeah I no I'd not even thought about that possibly. Do they do UV resistant acetate? I don't know. Is there I something mean, that you know of? Uh, yeah, I mean that would definitely do it. I mean it's like um, you can get um, uh, like film. Obviously, um, sorry, when I say film, obviously on this podcast it means something different. I mean um, like film for windows and things for places like galleries and mm. libraries and all of those kinds of things, uh, or even you know for houses that people can put on their windows to stop UV light coming through, damaging the furniture, etc. All that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe that's a thing. Um, perhaps check. I mean, obviously, it's a you're getting it from a copy shop, um, so it, you should be able to, you know, just get in touch with them quite quickly and find out whether that's the case. It's not. I mean, it's not something I've heard of, but that would potentially, you know, that would obviously stop it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose the uh, thing working. to do is if, if yeah. Ronnie can get hold of just a blank sheet of the acetate that they're using mm-hmm. and just lie a perfectly clear sheet or a yeah. piece of the perfectly clear sheet on some cyanotype paper and just leave that out for an hour. Yeah. And obviously yeah. it should go, you know, the whole paper, yeah. bit that's covered, bit that's not covered, should all change exactly the same. If there's any difference at all between the bit that's covered by clear acetate mm-hmm. and the bit that's not covered, mm-hmm. then that is blocking out some mm-hmm. of the UV rays. Because that's the thing with cyanotypes is yeah. that it's only 
react UV. to yeah. UV, which is a really narrow spectrum, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, which is obviously a, a good thing, and obviously it means that it, you know, has its own uh, restrictions, of course. Mm. Um, the there was something else that I was saying. Oh, I know what the other point that I was going to make was. Um, you're using sunshine, which obviously brilliant because we, we, it's always lovely to use sunshine and it's one of the nicest things to be able to do but it's not consistent so when you've got a problem like this i always say take it back down strip it all back to the beginning and just change one variable at a time because obviously the sun and the amount of sun um is a variable so perhaps it's a case of once you've tried as you said graham you know that to work out and find out if it's actually just the acetate has some sort of uv coating um if it's not that then perhaps it's worth looking at using a bulb that you know um will react with that paper um that you know um that you can start to actually time um and make sure it's at a consistent um distance from the bulb etc you know all of those kinds of things be sort of scientific about it change one variable at a time that might help um as well it all it will take it all back to that and the other thing is ronnie you're not very far away from me literally like geographically so you know if you're still having trouble i'm sure we can like meet up and we'll have a little we'll, we can try something together i'm sure we will figure this out because uh yeah we don't want anybody having trouble with cyanotypes they're um they're awesome and we should all be able to make those so um yeah this is this is not you who, who knows there, there will be something that um this will have taught us all, I'm sure. So uh, thank you so much for writing in. And yeah, like Graham said, check on the UV uh, capabilities or blocking uh, capabilities of that on the acetate that you've currently used. And um, and maybe try something else. If you could just get buy some off Amazon and, and try that, maybe on your own printer at home, if that's possible, try that. Um, but yeah, if not, we'll we'll meet up and we'll work it through. We'll figure something out. There you go. Personal service. Who could ask for more than that? <laughs> Do you want to take this next rage from uh, Darren Riley, the, who a name which I will hope be familiar to many people who listen to the FPP, and which of course many mm. people do. Um, yes, and also um, just to say uh, thank you very much for emailing in. Um, so Darren. Darren Riley says, Hello everybody, it's Darren Cheekburgers Riley here. <laughs> Amazingly, despite being a film photographer for nine years now, I only started listening to your show in the past few weeks. It felt like I was cheating on the FPP at first, but we've come to an agreement and now have an open relationship. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed the recent episode with Nasser. Uh, with Nasser. Um, I met him on one of the FPP meets and then again in 2016 when he met up with Mark Dalzell and I, um, on one of Mark's infrequent trips to the UK. He took us on a walk around Oxford and showed us some of the more easily missed spots. It was nice to hear him again and his amusingly blunt, yet amazingly nice manner. Not many can pull that combination off. The conversation about taking photos of somewhere you know really well stu uh, struck a chord with me. I've often thought that in order to really take a good photo of somewhere, you need to know it. My photos when on holiday are very different from my photos of Bolton. However, I sometimes wonder if my holiday photos are better because I'm seeing things differently than a local would. And for that reason, I sometimes wonder, often wonder, if I miss photo opportunities more local to me because I'm too familiar and don't notice the sheer oddness of things. Anyway, half an hour after listening to this show, 
I walked into Manchester's real camera company on a vague browsing mission. Uh oh, this is dangerous. Um, and ended up walking out with an Olympus XA2. Yay, they're a great little camera. I then proceeded to shoot a, a room, <laughs> a room of Fuji Color 200. <laughs> <laughs> Blimey, we've gone from bulk rolling to a whole room full of Fujicolor 200. Blimey. Uh, budget classic. Um, I'm assuming that means roll. Uh, I think you had some, some autocorrect issues, Rach. Yeah, I did see yeah, an, a, gotcha. a despairing tweet saying, oh no, I've just sent a message and now I'm realising that autocorrect <laughs> has screwed me. <laughs> I, don't, I, I do love that idea, though, of just maybe we should just all wallpaper it. <gasps> we should all wallpaper a room with, you know, some, well, I don't know, Fujicolor, but. We could process if it was black and white easy enough, couldn't we, and uh, make a camera obscura. Ooh, sorry, ideas. I, anyway, I know someone who's got an awful lot of um, F16 film. That's <laughs> what <Sorry, laughs> no, ISO 1.6 film. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'll finish the email. Sorry, sorry, Darren. It says, um, I then proceeded to shoot a roll of Fuji Color 200 budget classic, including some shots in Bolton where I wandered around and missed the sheer oddness of things until I saw a wonderful sign warning thieves that there were security cameras up in this empty unit. So crack on and we'll see you in court. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. The oddness is there if you spend enough time walking around. That's awesome. Or looking in the mirror. <laughs> um, fantastic uh, first off just because like I said there's a possibility that listeners may not know um, Darren Riley he uh, his music can be heard at the end of pretty much every episode of the um, film photography podcast his many wonderful songs and have been for years and just recently uh, he has released a new song I think he gave in to Mike's um, incessant requests for new music and he's created this song called Cheap Burgers and <laughs> And it is not an exaggeration <laughs> to say that this song, with its incredibly irritating uh, and infectious hook, got into my head to such a degree that I was lying in bed that night just with that hook going round and round and round my head. <laughs> I was keeping me awake, cursing his name. Yeah. I have since then bought the song on Bandcamp. Um, there it is. I think he's ballad. B-A-L-L-A-R-D or Pancho Ballad. I can't remember. I think it's Ballad at the moment on Bandcamp. You can buy it on there. And um, I've treated my children to listening to that. Um, and they are bemused, I think. But um, lots of good music. So um, you know, do check out that. If you've been enjoying Darren's music at the end of the FPP. I like this idea, Rach, of mm. not seeing things in places mm. that we go to often. I was recently watching a video talking about um, why on the motorcycle you have to be extra careful because it's real easy for motorbikes to kind of disappear from people's view. And it was talking about this idea of if you're driving somewhere that's a very familiar place, we all know our brains are lazy and tend to just go, oh, well, yeah, I know what this looks like. I don't need to fill in all the gaps. So if you're somewhere, it it might just not pay attention to stuff that's not normally there. Um, I wonder if that, you know... I wonder if sometimes the plays a part. Yeah, mm. our brain just in in places that it knows already, it's not bothering to actually do a detailed check around in the first place. So unless you actively look places that you go to regularly, mm. you might quite easily miss things. Absolutely, yeah. It's we all do it, like you say. You know, it's autopilot, isn't it? And uh, yeah, it's I suppose a nice way of kind of counteracting that. You have to be very conscious of of doing it to do this but you know you could it's that kind of like holiday at home kind of idea of of removing yourself from what you always 
do and where you would always go and and the ways that, that you would normally move around a space and instead say okay I'm a tourist here like today and I'm going to look at this as if I'm coming to this place for the very first time easier said than done I know but but yeah absolutely there's there's all these lovely things that you can suddenly um appreciate and 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 kind of like that will reveal themselves to you um again maybe or for the first time depending um yeah we're all um guilty of of uh, operating on autopilot uh, occasionally and um and yes to a certain uh, extent more or lesser extent uh, obviously it can be very dangerous if it's if you're doing that whilst driving um less less so perhaps when you're taking photos unless it's you in oxford getting nearly mown down by every single bike <laughs> I wasn't wasn't paying <laughs> much attention to that episode it did make me laugh a lot um, but yeah, well, there you go, everybody. Cautionary tale. You can tell from from uh, Graham having wandered the streets of Oxford, obviously, quite often, that uh, that you were perhaps a little on autopilot. But maybe that's the thing, right? If if you go to a place that you know really well, but with somebody who you don't know well, uh, sorry, with somebody who you know, but who doesn't know that place well, that's another lovely way of kind of opening up your eyes again to what is around you. I absolutely love showing people around Liverpool. It's like... Uh, this home this city is such a special place to me um obviously i wasn't born here i didn't grow up here but it it really got under my skin and what i love about um being here is that when people come to visit i I get to share that and go oh my god look at these amazing places and look at these fabulous things or look at these awful you know sort of like things and it's just it does help you um to also re reassess and relook at, at things again. So perhaps even if you find it difficult thinking of yourself as a tourist, perhaps think of yourself as a tour guide, maybe instead. Um, what would you say to somebody who'd never seen this place before? You know, what would you show them? How would you look at that? And maybe that's a way of uh, of looking at it with fresh with fresh eyes. Indeed, indeed. And hopefully Nass will be coming down to visit me in my little village and do exactly that before too long. Nice. Okay, do you want to take this wee quickie from Hillary Rach? Absolutely. Uh, Lovely Hilary Clark has written in, say hi Sunbeams. I met up with Rachel last week to help me get over my fear of self-portraits. We had a great time and not only did we have a lovely chat with tea and ginger cake and cuddles from Marcy, that's my dog, um, we actually set up my camera and took some photographs. I'm very pleased with them. I've managed to record my thoughts as Rachel suggested, so I really hope this is okay. Cheers from Hilary. I am so pleased that you managed to do that, Hilary, and I know just how much of an effort that was for you to do that so it's really appreciated and um yeah i'm very much looking forward to sharing all of that hopefully on the show this week yes yes the first of our assignment shows which will hopefully hopefully be out this week um for all because rachel's doing far better than (laughs) which is not hard and toes and everything and eyes um (laughs) yes it was absolutely brilliant um to again you know to have hillary here as as well and i had it was such a lovely day i really felt like it was a a proper sort of like holiday for me as well getting a chance to meet up with her and um and uh, we just sort of like worked through it really which was lovely and uh she obviously has um she attached the photos have you seen them yes friend? i don't know if she attached yeah. them to the email as well yeah um i'm so pleased uh, with them and I'm just so pleased that she's really pleased with them too which is brilliant so there we go it was lovely lovely stuff um, 
And we have the next one from Sherry Christensen. Do you want to take this one? Okay, I will. Um, okay, Sherry Christensen, host of the wonderful Embrace the Grain podcast up there in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, Sherry writes in, I heard somewhere that you were short of emails for backing paper. I can't <laughs> remember where I heard that. Anyway, I just thought I'd send you a quick note saying, keep up the good work. I enjoy each week's show. Thank you very much, Sherry. Thanks, Sherry. Now, what email wouldn't be complete without a bit of a plug for the Frugal Film Project, a collective <laughs> of 15 people worldwide, worldwide that were inspired <laughs> partly by Sunny 16? Why only partly? Yes, the premise is similar to the Cheap Shots Challenge, but also different. One camera, one film, one year. The only way you can change your camera is equipment failure. The film must be the cheapest you can purchase locally. Online purchasing is only an option if you can't buy any film locally. There are no themes, you can be as creative or not creative as you please, and you can process your chosen film any way you choose. So what is the true purpose of the project? First, you do not need a really expensive camera to shoot film. Yes, it might be nice, but it isn't necessary. Incidentally, on the subject of um, you know, expensive cameras, Mike Gutterman, host of the Negative Positives podcast, who has always been very much that I'm the working man of um, film photography, is talking about buying, mm -hmm. I think he's just got his second Leica body. Oof, he's, he's <gasps> changed. What? Yeah, I know. He's changed. Um, Those sorry. face casts, he must be making a mint off them. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, sorry, Sherry. Uh, secondly... To learn a film stock and its reactions completely, and what better way to do that than with a cheap one? Mistakes cost less that way. Lastly, and thirdly, to support our local camera shops. If we don't, they disappear completely. Mm -hmm. You can give us a Google at Frugal Film Project, but if you find this interesting, here's the link to our website to save some time, and I will include that link in the show notes. Cheers from Sherry. That's awesome, Sherry. Um, so I think, you know, We've had a few people getting in touch saying, oh, what? Hiatus from the um, Cheap Shots <laughs> Challenge? So yeah. we have clearly got plenty of listeners out there who have got their Cheap Shots cameras and they're kind of like, well, I need to be doing something. This sounds like a wonderful thing to be involved with and doing with it. Absolutely. Um, we can be do you'll be doing that as well as um, creating your own bits for, our, for you know, our assignments. Too. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Follow along with both. And and I really love what Sherry's put there about the purpose of the project. Obviously, you do not need a really expensive camera to shoot film. Tick, you know, that's absolutely was was always behind why we set up the Cheap, shot, challenge, cheap Shots Challenge in the first place. Easy beauty. I really... Sorry. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I really love what she talks about as the second point as well, to really learn a film stock and its reactions completely. I think that's brilliant because, yeah, I mean, obviously with this being the Frugal Film Project... The idea is that you're shooting that over a year. So you're going to get a lot of experience with the reactions of that particular film over the course of the year. And it also opens up opportunities for you potentially processing it in different ways, in different chemicals and, and or through different labs or what have you and seeing what different scans come back. like Because over time, once you know how that camera shoots and what and, and how that film should look usually then you'll start to really sort of see the differences between those other parts of the process. And then you can start to make creative decisions as to which you prefer. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. 
do you want to take this last one, Rach, from Simon Forster from the Classic mm-hmm. Lenses and Large Format Photography Podcast? Podcast. Yes, well done. Simon Forster says, hi, some beams. <laughs> says hi, some beams. After last week's cry for email help, I thought I'd help you pad out your show and give you something to read out. I've just finished listening to the show with NASA. Um, I hope I like the fact, Rach, sorry, I like the fact you're you're skipping the bit where he keeps referring to as NASA, who's saying, "Look, I know I made a slight mistake when I tried to introduce the show. Um, How that ended up in my head, I don't know." But there you go. Anyway, he says, I hope that's the correct spelling as you've still not been asked to update your website for me to check. No, uh, um, well, that's, yeah. Matthew's been away on holiday, so he's uh, getting back on top of it now, though. Aren't you, Matthew? <laughs> aren't you, Matthew? Yay. <laughs> um, okay, he says, great to hear Nasser again. I really enjoyed listening to your first outing with him and the second time was just as good. What triggered me to send in a message was Nasser's comment about taking notes about the shots that we take, or rather the difficulty many of us have in taking notes on the fly. I'm notoriously bad at this, and I know it's hampering my much-needed education to become competent at shooting film. Well, I got out of bed this Sunday morning and took an urban walk in Leek, Staffordshire, with too many cameras and no notebook and no wish to type notes into my phone. I realised that I had an app called Evernote and it allows the recording of voice notes. I think Evernote or voice notes in general might be the way forward for me as making them is fast. Plus, I get to add comments about the scene that would simply take too long to write or type. I hope this solution will help a few people. Yours in lenses and large format stuff. That one's from Simon. Uh, Again, great idea, Simon. Um, It is something I have had a go at in the past i wasn't particularly consistent with it um i i ended up finding that actually writing it down was was better for me but um but absolutely why not use use voice memo note um pretty much every sort of smartphone will have a voice recorder in whatever way on there so if it's the app evernote or if it's some kind of um voice memo recorder you can always use that um title maybe just title the the tracks as you record them afterwards so that you know which is which and uh, and then you've got a little record to look back at which is great or listen back to <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely it's a double-edged sword uh, for me at least because um i'm far more likely to take notes that are dictated rather than actually write them and I am far less likely to ever refer back to notes that are recorded <laughs> than are written. So uh, I'm uh, damned if I do, damned if I don't. But Courses um, for courses, isn't it? But yeah. absolutely, it might help somebody else who's not really thought about that, who's only ever been sort of like struggling with pen and paper and or typing it into the phone or what have you. Um, so, yeah, it's another option, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's particularly useful if you're doing, if you're trying to figure out a particular problem, or you're working on something in turning over mm. things quite quickly. Um, because even notes, I think notes are great, but they are only useful if you're working with them fairly consistently. Um, and we were mm, talking sure. earlier um, about the um, testing that uh, ISO one point six film and mm-hmm. um, getting the best from that. And that's an absolutely and fantastic. the cyanotype and the cyanotypes, well. yeah, of writing down exactly what you've done so that you can refer back to and go okay you know I, I took six shots two like this two like this you, you need those notes then because there's no way you're mm. going to remember that other, you know it's useless otherwise um but yes as you said rach whatever works for you uh, if dictation works better for you then do that and if writing it down works better but um if you're trying to figure something out keep notes because otherwise you'll you'll never know what you've 
got and it's all been, mm. it's all been a complete waste of time you know even if you get something <laughs> good you don't know what you did to get something good um another good way obviously is just don't chop and change your gear all the time but i don't think simon's ever going to manage to achieve that uh, <laughs> i think everybody on um, twitter and instagram did enjoy this week seeing simon buying a really big fancy lens for his Ooh, large format camera and then realizing that it didn't fit <laughs> what a wally oh, no. yeah oh has it got to get a new board cut or something oh uh, no i just think it's flat out too big apparently he has got another camera he can put it in he's got a great big monorail <laughs> camera he can put it in that he would definitely never take out anywhere so that's um not putting it on his baby rolly is he <laughs> no he is not he is not although i'm sure he'll try and adapt it to some camera or other um but uh, thank you very much for your thoughts as always uh, it was always good to as you said um hear nasa's take on this stuff um he's far more diligent about all of this stuff after we t- went around town he we went up to his office where I dumped some of my gear because I did originally take in my um, Intrepid camera with me, but it was just too hot. Oh. And I could not be mm-hmm. able to lug that and the tripod around. Um, so I'd left it up in his office and he was showing me in all of his office drawers, they were just chock full of cameras ready to go oh, and wow. take pictures. Dozens oh. of them, literally dozens of cameras of all shapes and sizes. So um, he's, he's living the dream and uh, walking the walk out there. Um and that does it for emails, Rach. What a fantastic <gasps> selection of emails we had this week. Thank you so much, everybody, who got in touch with your great emails and wonderful thoughts. Please do keep them coming in. I think mm. this is this has been a textbook example of great email work, hasn't it, Rach? It really has. You stepped up to the mark. We're very, very pleased. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. It's been you. lovely to hear from you. Yeah. <clears throat> and like I said, there's been quite a few questions that have come up this week, which I really that we haven't, haven't been able to answer. <laughs> that we haven't been able to answer. Uh, um, you know, not, not, listen, we'll never profess expertise on something we are not experts in. And photography is far too broad a subject for us to be experts on all of it, or in my case, any of it whatsoever um but, but that's why we use the hive mind our wonderful sunny 16 sunbeam additional sunbeams um can hopefully email back in so uh we we love hearing how creative you are on uh, in terms of coming up with solutions for things or experiences that you've had that you can pass on and share with other people so uh, yeah we're happy to be the conduit. Thank you. It's the word of the day. <laughs> yes. And you know, and it's a perfect opportunity. If you've not written into us before, but you've heard us talk about something tonight and you thought, actually, I know what needs to go on there. Please take this as a sign. Destiny is calling right in with your <laughs> thoughts on this matter. Um, so, Rach, it's that most wonderful time of the Wraps evening again. it up. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm not get, I'm not going to moan. I'm not going to whinge. We're just going to go for it. All right, we have our wonderful coffee donate, donators, donors, donors who have donated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I'm going to read through their names, and the elves are going to give us some facts. I should warn listeners that the elves were part... So this weekend, we talked earlier about um, the great idea of actually having a holiday at home and all the joys that can bring in. I've mm-hmm. been spending my holiday at home building a... a God damn pergola. A pergolator. Um, so um, the elves were helped out by my two boys, um, which oh, may kind of have influenced some of these. So double apologies in advance uh, for this. <laughs> You'll never notice, honestly. Oh, dear. Yeah. Okay, we will start with Ian T. Uh, Ian Turpin uh, drinks a gallon of Sprite every day after misunderstanding a conversation with his doctor, which has led him to believe that this will actually grant him immortality. Richard Hall. 
Richard Hall keeps a gang of pigeons uh, in his rooftop, which he which he uses to selectively poop bomb uh, both per- people <laughs> and the vehicles of people who he believes to be undesirables in his local area. <laughs> Sorry, that was such a cackle. I really enjoyed that one. Um, Juliet Schwab. Uh, in her free time, uh, I should also point out, for, just for sort of um, context, my boys have been binge watching The Tick on Amazon Prime, which I recommend to everybody. Don't listen to Rachel; it's great. Um, but this is all to influence some of their thoughts. Um, in her free time, Juliet secretly fights crime using her amazing superpowers and culinary skills in her role as Soup uh, Woman, uh, ladling oh. out the justice. That's so good, uh, Hilary Clark. Uh, Hillary is a former escape artist and also former prisoner. She promptly escaped incarceration after being falsely accused of grand theft horse. <laughs> uh, Martin Smith. Uh, Martin Smith invented blow-up armbands for small dogs that can't swim. Unfortunately, <laughs> these tended to flip the dogs upside down in the water uh, and so were removed fairly promptly from sale after a couple of very close calls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's not oh, me. God. It's not me. Listeners. Visions of upside down dogs. Upside bobbing. Bobbing. Oh, God. Okay. Just small, cute ones bobbing paws up in here. I know. Okay. Um, James Thorpe. Uh, James Thorpe refuses to use full stops in his written work as he worries that people of a nervous disposition may mistake them for very small bugs or fleas, and he just doesn't want to cause people that undue stress. That's like when you're using your scanner and it's like, remove dust, dust removal, and you go, yes. And then and you're scanning the Instax minis and then everybody comes out with no eyes. <laughs> uh, Duncan Gammon. Uh, Duncan has committed to planting a tree for every roll of APS he develops. So far, he's not planted any trees, which is lucky as he lives in a uh, six-floor flat with views over a car park. So, you know, I mean... I read a story about somewhere that planted like a billion trees in 12 hours. It was amazing. Billion trees? That can't. Really? Like a whole country, obviously. Yeah. Right, not one guy. Apparently so. No, not one chap or woman. (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, Sam Christopher Cornwell. Sam Cornwell is actually holding an exhibition starting tomorrow. This is a true fact, listeners. This is true. I just saw it as well. Yes. Uh, So Sam is um, curating an exhibition at... uh, Now, let me... Actually, I'm going to read this. The exhibition is at Thurliston... I didn't have the location, so... Oh, there you go. I'm on this. You have the location. Okay, It's at Thurliston Castle, uh, and the exhibition is called The Theoretical Sharpness Exhibition, and it runs from tomorrow, or today as you listen to this, Monday the 5th, until Thursday the 8th of August. This is an narrow window um it says here we are delighted to showcase a new photography exhibition featuring works by the 14th earl of lauderdale Mm. Mm. curated by sam cornwell the exhibition will be displayed in our brand new event space the vaulted cellars at thurliston castle the exhibition will showcase some of the early printing techniques used by this prolific photographer at the turn of the last century as well as pre-photoshop examples of edited images as well as never-before-seen images. There will also be a selection of some of his more vernacular work. Ooh! What does that mm, mean? Fancy Rich? words. <laughs> what does it no mean? Idea. No Fa- idea. Fancy words. 
Still good though. We we love vernacular. Yes. Uh, to give audiences a taste Conduit, of, vernacular. We're yeah. like word of the day toilet paper. <laughs> well, we're like toilet paper. Of the Earl's <laughs> Back Broadway. in paper. Sorry. <laughs> um, the exhibition will be open from 10am daily and is included in the normal admission to the castle. Uh, it is part of the Borders art map with two other exhibitions taking place within the borders at the start of um, August. Okay, so that's an area of the country called y- the borders. Yes, just for exactly. You don't know. <laughs> um, so Thurliston Castle. This is up in Scotland. Uh, mm-hmm. It is up in Berwickshire. So if you find yourself, or if you live up in Scotland, uh, as I'm sure some people must do, um, I've never been to Scotland, Rach. Can you even believe it? That that is surely a lie. No, it's true. It is true, nonetheless. Is that, um, I, and I really, is really that an elf to... fact? <laughs> no, no, I mean, maybe it will be one day, but uh, no, I have never been I clearly <laughs> really? need to. Regrettably, That's so weird. I know. Well, we, I grew up in Wales. I mean, <laughs> Scotland yeah, is just true. colder Wales. Um, so, um, but I... It looks amazing, though. We just saw the... Um, uh, Sam sent me a couple of photos, and the vaulted uh, sort of cellar just looks wonderful. The images, I'm sure, are going to be wonderful. I could sort of see them as obviously an exhibition rather than um, up on the walls rather than in detail. But this is uh, something he's been working on for the last, like, five months in a freaking castle, <laughs> which is amazing. Mm-hmm. So um, he basically, I think spoke to them and said, you know, this is this is what I do. And, and they gave him kind of access to the archives. And so he's been uh, obviously wet printing up from the original uh, negatives and things. And just, yeah, and has created this, curated this exhibition um, and, and reprinted from, from them. So, uh, yeah, as you say, anybody who's around the area, um, it would be wonderful, I'm sure, to go and have a look at them and see what they've got. Yeah, I know Sam's been putting an incredible amount of work into Absolutely. this. So if you can... Go and check it out. It will be well worth your time. And that does it. Thank you so much to all of our wonderful coffee donors. You are amazing uh, and continue to be absolutely wonderful. It is a delight to make up this. Not uh, to is a delight to be able to employ <laughs> our team of elves. Um, to, and mini elves. And sweet. mini elves. Yeah, yeah. Some of uh, they're even more insane than the normal elves. Bless them. Um, but yes, thank you so much. Uh, and I think I can't think of anything else that we need to um, draw people's attention to this week. I'm sure there probably is, but I can't, can't remember anything. I think it's time for tea. Yeah, it's really it is really hot again, listeners. It is really it is. really yeah. hot. Did you mention that it's been hot? I Graham. think I keep trying to. I, I feel I need to as justification for why we keep making so many mistakes when reading. Yeah, um, apologies for that. Our, our reading of emails has not been the smoothest uh, recently, and uh, yeah, so we are sorry about that. <laughs> But anyway, in the meantime, we hope you have a lovely week. Have a lovely week, everyone. <laughs>